Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsessions will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark down for a while. Hi, it's Jackie Cation. We're we're still in Harry Kondabolu's uh, apartment. Sitting across from me, a man who lives in New York, and you're familiar with his work because it's Patrick Brady. Welcome to the show, Patrick Brady. Hi, Jackie. Yes, we're in, we're finally in the same room. <laughs> we've never actually met before this week. No, not before this week. I mean, we met once at one of your stand-up shows. Did you? Sort Did of. We? Yeah, sort of in the crowd. Oh, weird. Um, it was Maria was headlining. Okay, which, and epi- which? you were there. It was it was one of the last performances you guys did at Comics. Oh, okay. Oh, one of those. Like a yeah, like a summer one. Okay. Yeah. Before and then, it closed, and then it closed down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sadly. Very much so, because it was a great. Um, that was a great space. Yeah. But here we are, and then we we did a. Uh, you is it therefore? Therefore Productions. Therefore Productions. The company I. Uh, you sort of have. You would you have with uh, with with friends and coworkers yep. and uh, yeah, Victor a, Reyes and Rebecca Heineman and Andrew Hymas. Uh, Who will all be crew. on the show at some point because they are all dorks. <laughs> Big <laughs> and they, time, and they will and they will fit right in. Yeah, you were like, "Hey, do you want to do anything?" Because I have yeah, this production crew. Because we do video. Because you do video, and, and I comedians, had the tiniest idea in the world, and you turned it into a two day shoot. Nice work. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, and two different like full sketches, so those will be out, and people can get to see that. Yeah, should be pretty soon. Oh yeah, uh, with. Within, let's say a month, within a, a month. month. Oh, and that's when this will come out. So that'll be because I have like ten in the can that need yeah. to be edited. And... So this will be out right around the time when the sketch is coming out. Yeah. Watch the sketch. Watch the sketch. Get, go over to the thereforeproductions.com. Yes. Is that what it is? It'll be in the notes. It turns out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Patrick Brady, we we just spent uh, ten minutes fiddling diddle with the audio. Yeah, if you notice that uh, my voice sounds <laughs> very rich, it's because I. <laughs> You brought your own. I brought equipment. my own mic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you brought it up a notch, and uh, but we're still we're, we're still rocking this PV mixer, huh? That's yeah, a, this hundred dollar PV mixer. Yeah, I checked it out. It sounds fine. There's no. Uh, there shouldn't be any mains hum on this recording. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Those <laughs> of you out there, you audio dorks that are out in, out in the land. Yeah. And um, oh, mains you- hum is something I typically scrub from certain episodes of the Dork Forest, depending on. Uh, Oh. Whether it's in in the mix or not, but it's basically just if the electric system in a certain place, oh, okay, uh, is just somehow getting into the board. Yeah. Then you know electricity in America operates at like sixty hertz. Okay. So you get a sixty hertz frequency just humming along with the track. Oh. Okay. And then you also get all the multiples of sixty. So you've got another oh, hum like at one hundred twenty and hundred eighty. Oh, interesting. Uh, and then it just gets quieter from there. So okay. if I just kind of notch out all those frequencies mm-hmm. you don't hear it anymore okay and do you do but, that in audacity yeah you okay can, you can do that in audacity um there are plugins there's a there are better plugins for it than what comes with audacity you can mm-hmm. just download them um it's called the notch filter is the best way to, oh, uh, to handle a mains hum because it's you know you just want to kill three specific frequencies and and they'll just essentially notch it right there, yep. and and just delete all those the things in those frequencies. Yeah. Okay, but it doesn't affect the the voice. It doesn't affect the commentary. It, it doesn't. I mean, it's enough that I can sort of hear a slight difference in the voices, but <laughs> right. It could also be that the difference is the hum is gone. Right. 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 Because you've been listening to a hum for an right. hour. Fair enough. And uh, 
There are many there are many dorky things we could talk about, and audio being one of them. But uh, yep. I like the idea of talking about animation. Yes. So, um, yeah, I'm a big animation dork. Yeah. Uh, studied a lot in college. Um, I mean, I've been, if you want to call watching animation studying it, I've been studying <laughs> animation my entire life. Really? What was the first animation you remember studying as a child? Uh, I recall studying He-Man. Uh, <laughs> for, er, in the for early long, days. In the Masters of the Universe for a long time. Right, yeah. right. I preferred She-Ra, Princess of Power. Oh, She-Ra. I remember She-Ra. She had the more interesting villains and a lot more trapdoor use. Oh, yeah? That was big for me in cartoons as, okay. as a child. It's just, if there was a trap door, well, my eyes were on that. The, you were like, oh, look what's going to happen. There's going to be someone falling through that trap <laughs> Gravity door. Gravity is going to happen. <laughs> Do you know what I, I've been watching lately is um, on Netflix streaming, because Hari Kondabolu doesn't have a television. <laughs> so I have been watching, uh, do you see this poster he has, though? Yes. It's Malcolm X on Whose yeah. Line Is It Anyway? <laughs> but it's the Canadian version, so they're not blindfolded. He's just standing behind them. <laughs> it's the best poster I've ever seen in my life. Oh, my God. Like. And but um, It's really amazing. Like, the stuff he has in his apartment is pretty great. Yeah. His cardboard sign there, Ignorance is a Weapon. Right. It's, it's from awesome. some show that he did. It's a, wow. Yeah. He's very political, Hari Kondabolu, uh, two episodes that, ago. I saw that. Because you mentioned you were staying at his place, and I checked him out. His, oh, Okay. This material is awesome. It's it was, yeah, very smart, very yeah. funny, awesome, great comic. He's going to be on the new John Oliver show uh, awesome. coming up. That you know he does that that comics I like show. Yes, yeah, on Comedy Central. So, um, yeah, what I've been doing here in the the apartment without a television is watching mm-hmm. Rocky and Bullwinkle and Friends. Yes, the first season. The first, so that was the um, original. Is that the original yeah. Rocky and Bullwinkle yeah. series? Yeah, where they're constantly. Yeah. Bullwinkle has always I, got a sign that says Rocky uh, Bullwinkle is a dope. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, they would never let that play now. Not on television. <laughs> Nobody's called a dope. <laughs> we don't want anyone to have low self-esteem. <laughs> I guess. Um, but yeah, I watched that all the time uh, as a kid. I would rent things, you know, from the oh, local video right, right. store back when that was a, a thing. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'd have a place called Video Bazaar. They'd go in and uh, just pick out anything with cartoons on the cover. Oh, okay. And so... Rocky and Bullwinkle was in my house a lot, and then uh, Nickelodeon started rebroadcasting it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you ever end up uh, accidentally re- renting one of those super sad Japanese Like, like Grave post- of the Fireflies or something? <laughs> I, I've never seen Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> I just know from my friends who also watch stuff that it's incredible, the saddest the thing saddest ever. Thing. Is it like a post-apoc... Like a... Is it a, a it's post-nuclear... Like yeah, like post-nuclear holocaust type right. of thing. I mean, maybe not even nuclear holocaust. It might just be post-bombing of Hir- Hiroshima or something. Like an actual... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, guess what died? All the fireflies. <laughs> and everyone. Everyone. <laughs> and then everyone else was sick forever. Yeah. Wow. So, okay, so He-Man and She-Ra when you were a kid. Yeah, that kind whatever. of stuff was start, started it off. And, um, yeah, that, that sort of gets into my first yeah. topic is like where... Where I fall on the animation timeline, like my whole experience of animation starts with the Saturday morning stuff. Right. And then as I was growing up, it moved into afternoon stuff. Like that became what were the what afternoon? was profitable. Uh, Disney afternoon kind of dominated that. Okay. Once it got, once it kicked off, but it had been growing. Because it was the 90s, there. right? It was like the mid 90s, late 90s. Yeah. Like Disney afternoon started in the late 80s and really. Hmm. Built up steam into the 90s. Like, okay. I think DuckTales started in 87. 
Okay. And uh, I remember Baron Vaughn on the, one of the other episodes. Oh, was talking going about through it. his medley of all the <laughs> Disney afternoon theme songs. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> our right. generation's version of Marvin Gaye. Exactly. It's a, I only watched Animaniacs. That was the only yeah. one from the early '90s. I think I watched. Oh yeah, yeah. That was. I mean, that was the main competition in a way to uh, to Disney afternoon was the Fox stuff. Yeah, there was like a Pinky and the Brain and and, mm-hmm. and the Animaniacs were I think. The only, but I think I missed out. I think I think that there yeah, was some great had, stuff being done. Yeah, well, because it was basically like Steven Spielberg has kind of picked up the torch that Warner Brothers carried in the '40s of being the competition to Disney. Yeah. In whatever they were doing. Yeah. And uh, always kind of taking on the role of the, you know, sort of being more slapstick and trickstery. Yeah. In the characterizations, more wise oh, right. guyish, right? More Bugs Bunny than anything else. Yeah, more yeah. Bugs Bunny to Disney's Mickey Mouse in everything. Yeah. So DreamWorks, you know, is constantly coming out with stuff I'm, with the. I mean, there was that. There's that whole thing online. You can see articles about it making the same comparison, where you see all the DreamWorks posters with the characters with that same snide look of like yeah. a single raised <laughs> eyebrow, right? A little snarkier the, than yeah, snarky grin. And oh, and that every and the poster arms crossed. Kung, yeah, arms crossed. Kung Fu Panda does that, right? The Will Smith fish, yes. From uh, what was that Shark Tale? Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was a lot more. It it played more towards adults. I yeah. think. Yeah, it was an it was of. an attempt to yeah sort of appeal to adults and make it. Like yeah, we're we're yeah. smarter than them, you right. and I. <laughs> and but but everybody still. I mean, did you ever see Sleeping Beauty? Yeah, the the Disney version. Yeah, the original Disney. That was one of the yeah. darkest cartoons I ever. <laughs> it was like, wow, she is genuinely evil. It was really dark, and it was, um, you know, it had a, it felt like it had a lot more influence from, uh, you know, more stylized art movements of the time, right? Um, oh, right, because just because like, of the animation itself. The, the way the animation was done, the way the design was done. Yeah. A lot more solid colors yeah. happening, a lot of uh, it, very, very like, formalistic shapes. You know, the way the th- the thorns and everything were represented. Right. There were a lot of just sharp geometric angles and things. Yeah, it was a little, it was certainly a lot pointier. There. Yeah. It was much pointier than very other. Very pointy animation. <laughs> and it was, it felt yeah, more adult. Not a lot of character development. Happening. No. I mean, it was really just uh, a dark think, story going on. And I can't the think of a yeah. I can't think of a a meaner bad guy in yeah. a Disney in a Disney movie. Even and Maleficent. You, yeah, and I think the woman in the the bad guy in in Little Mermaid was pretty bad, but she yeah, was but just she, made creepy. Yeah, and she also had like sort of an entertainer aspect to her. Right, she was, was a little sort bit of like a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Sort of like a big brassy diva, right? Who was just she just had like, needs, man. Yeah, um, and the only way they could make her like really threatening at the end was to make her like thirty times her original size. Right, that was she got really fat. That's what happened to her. Yeah. Poor thing. But uh, yeah, but Maleficent or whatever. Right. Um, she was she was scary smart. enough without turning into a dragon. Yes, yes, she was genuinely. She seemed like a a, a, a genuinely evil, angry, very smart bad guy. Yeah. And who was going to take everybody for a buggy ride and then <laughs> just gone. <laughs> yeah, and all just because they didn't invite her to a party. Right, right. That was... And did you see Tangled by any chance? I didn't get to see Tangled. Tangled I have not had- gotten to see a lot of recent uh, film stuff. Okay. 
The, the new animation? Yeah, like yeah. any new um, stuff that's been in theaters. Okay, if you get a chance, the, I'd love to hear what you think about that bad guy, because she was, she was the wicked stepmother, mm-hmm. but she was also her mother. Like, it was like... <laughs> it was she, a real, the birth mother. She wasn't her, she wasn't her birth mother, but uh, she was actually, since she raised her from a tiny child, right. she was her primary caregiver. She oh. was the parent in yeah. this situation. And she was, it's sort of like when kids get kidnapped in the movies or, or on the news. Mm-hmm. So with whatever degree of fre- frequency that happens in your lives, um, when they get the kid back like 12 years later, yeah, that kid just lived with a stranger who happened to snatch them for 12 years. Yeah. You're like, well, that was your primary. <laughs> I mean, it was such a weird thing for that to be the bad guy. I was like, because Tangled was good, but it was weird. That yeah. made it weird. Although, I mean, that is kind of the villain in Cinderella in a way. Right. But I, I guess in those, the uh, the villains are usually negligent. Oh, right, right. <laughs> to them, like they don't. Sorry. <laughs> They're not somebody who's actually giving care. Right, right. There's an absence of care happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they are technically raising them. They're, you know, at least providing enough food for them to be right, to, to alive work. these 14 years. Yes, and work for a living. Yeah. And what about... Um, what, where do you stand on the Scooby-Doo issue, I wonder? On the Scooby-Doo issue? Because by, by so the what's, time... what's the issue with Scooby-Doo? The issue with Scooby-Doo is that the old Scooby-Doo versus the new Scooby-Doo. Old oh, Scooby-Doo... Gosh, the, the new... Anything new with Scooby-Doo is just a complete cash grab, because <laughs> Scooby-Doo... Scooby-Doo yes. is a cash grab. Right. Already. Right. Yeah. And if you and then just attack onto that, hey, let's bring that back. Yeah. But better, but, but newer. But newer. But the, what I what I had never noticed. They've never done any. Uh, I'll just say this. They've never yeah. done anything interesting in revitalizing Scooby-Doo. If you did some, like if if there was something crazy you did or something really interesting or somehow right. improved on the original concept, I'd have watched it already. Right. You would have seen it. It was because somebody told me that the difference between the old Scooby-Doo and the new Scooby-Doo was that... Um, the the old Scooby Doo, it was always a bad guy, and right. in the new yes. Scooby Doo, there was there's actual there are actual supernatural creatures. Yeah, yes. which is weird. <laughs> yeah, because that that's that just you've broken the you've whole ruined it thing. Yeah, yeah. their entire premise <laughs> that they're that yeah. these are teen solving mysteries. Yeah, because there's no mystery. <laughs> it's if not a mystery anymore if it's an actual alien. supernatural phenomenon or yeah. an alien. Yeah, it's just. A cover-up at that point. Right. <laughs> yes. Now the government's involved. It's a conspiracy theory. Yeah, that's, it's like people don't know, not because it's a mystery, but because it's just right. being kept from them. Yes. That is insane. I don't know. It sounds very X-Files. Yeah. For Scooby-Doo. Much. Sounds it, like one of those 90s things, like when all the comic books started getting darker and edgier. Right, for no in res- reason. In response to, to Frank Miller. It's like, oh, he sold comic books. <laughs> right. We can do that. <laughs> Let's try Right, that. Lobo? <laughs> Is that, was that one one? Yeah, Lobo was like the joke version of Wolverine. Oh, okay. It was like, I think his story was that he had, he basically had most of the powers of Wolverine. Yeah. But uh, he was from another planet and... He got off that planet because he had killed everybody else of his race. Oh my gosh! On that planet. All right. So and that, was this Marvel? So he's like the ultimate badass. I think it was. Uh, it was their competitor. DC. Yeah, it was DC. Okay. All right. I forget who. Because now, who like, wrote him? But like multiple 
good artists artists you've had on the show have oh have had their run at Lobo. Okay, and but and some that, of them have kind of changed his backstory to make it better and right in an effort. But it's it started off almost like a he was almost a parody of what I was even referencing in the first place. <laughs> well, I've heard that the '90s were a bad time for comics. Yeah, yeah, the, that, it, that that there was a lot of trouble. Yeah, but it just had I never a lot of them. a lot of efforts to just make things you know darker and edgier by throwing in all these anti-hero tropes. Right. But they were just very tropey, very unoriginal. <laughs> right. And so nobody grabbed on because they were like, yeah, oh, was, I get it. Yeah, okay. You're going to brood and shoot people. Yeah. Great. You're not Batman. Right. Fantastic. You're not even the Punisher. <laughs> I'm going to need something. Yeah. <laughs> Any sort of reason. Yeah. <laughs> so what, uh, okay. So it was He-Man, She-Ra. So you yeah, had the Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, um, DuckTales. Yeah. All the way up until things started shifting to the afternoons. And then there were, you know, you had DuckTales. Uh, things on Saturday morning just started getting bleaker and bleaker as the afternoon dominated for uh, commercial oh. purposes. Oh, right. So, you know, you were down to, like, Captain N, the Game Master, and various shows based on sports stars. Really? Like, uh... Was there a Michael B- Jordan one? Yeah, I think I think Jordan was in one of them. I know, uh, Bo... Gosh, what's it? <laughs> Can't even remember. What did he play? You know, Bo knows baseball. Bo knows. Oh, okay. That guy, and that was animated. Yeah, he was wow. in a series with like two other sports stars. Wow. On some that, kind of team my, that did things. That did things. Yes, there was yeah, a terrible adaptation when I was drug a, stuff. I don't know. When I was a kid, there was some terrible like Tarzan uh, ca- cartoon. Ooh. That he fought aliens. Wow. Right, it wasn't yeah, just Yeah, but that's that's along the lines of stuff that would happen in the uh in that time period of the yeah. Saturday morning boom. Yeah. Especially in the 70s, which is when that of, was, yeah. I think. Yeah. La, and Hanna-Barbera was really dominating then. You know, they were making stuff like the original Space Ghost and uh the Herculoids. <laughs> I am and unfamiliar with the Herculoids. These, these are things that people only know about now because Cartoon Network had that whole back catalog and they started repurposing them into new stuff. Oh, really? So, yeah, Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Oh, I remember around that. Around the mid-90s. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's so like the afternoon stuff started. You've got Disney Afternoon and, like, the Fox Kids Afternoon and there's, like, Peter Pan and the Pirates and stuff. <laughs> and the, the thing was, like, the quality of animation was starting to improve, kind of okay. spurred on by Disney. Right. Because Disney had never wanted to enter the TV market. They were always like, we're just about films. We, we're quality. Okay. But then Michael Eisner came in and was like, they're making money on TV. Right, right. Let's we're go. We're doing that. <laughs> You're worried about quality? We'll just make it better quality. Okay. Yeah. I, fair enough. So they were doing better quality stuff than what was previously on TV. And uh, the other studios were trying to catch up. Right. So things were getting a little better. And then Nickelodeon was like... Hey, we've got some stuff, and they started the coming vault? out with, with the Nicktoons. Oh, they right. Were like, we've we've been secretly contacting artists. Right, they're going to come in and do some cool what stuff. What were the Nicktoons shows? Uh, one of the early ones was Ren and Stimpy. That was right. Huge. I mean, that yeah. was really a revolution in uh, terms of the direction animation would take from that point. Right, and what because it wasn't about and- selling toys to kids anymore. Right, it was about adult stuff. Yeah, it was. There was a comedy there. I mean, it was about stuff that would entertain kids and also go over their heads. Right, right. Because was this pre? When did the Simpsons? Simpsons was um, like started in eighty nine. Right. Didn't get good till ninety ninety one. You know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It took a year or two, didn't it? Yeah, it took a yeah. little while for them to get 
especially just to get the lines cleaned up and to get the the right. format established and the drawing style better. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, because I mean, it, and there was a great. I have to say, out of the twenty-two years or whatever, yeah, there was probably five years that I watched it religiously. Yeah, that that were amazing. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Like right around when it first started going into syndication, and they were rerunning it like three times a day. A day. I was there all three times. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. It was. It was. It seemed like it was season three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. Like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And that the, was the Simpsons just. Uh, I feel like the Simpsons changed everything for writing. In a okay. Way. Like they didn't change much for animation because they weren't doing that much different from what would what would have come before it. Right. You know, still basically cell animation, unique style. Right. Um, but Ren and Stimpy changed the... Ren and Stimpy kind of changed the direction so that creepy. animation was taking because they went back sort of to, you know, like uh, Tex Avery and uh, uh, I forget everybody's names. Right, right. But like yeah, the yeah. Warner Brothers style, the, the sort of early style of like animation that wasn't produced for television. Um, okay. That was produced for theatrical shorts. Oh, okay. Things like that, and just, you know, really utilizing animation techniques. Right. Did um, you study animation techniques in college? A little bit. Okay. And I mean, I, I made some animations in college. I was, I, we didn't have, like, cells or anything right. to use. Or, oh, okay. And I wasn't a great drawer, so I would do most of my animation as compositing. I would, like, maybe make a couple sketches or something, okay. animate a figure, and then put it in a real-life background that I shot. Oh, okay. Or I would maybe just like animate some heads and track them onto <laughs> real bodies. Okay. On green screen and then green screen them onto right a paper mache thing I had made or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's so weird about animation because I feel like flip books. Were we talking about flip books? Flip books, yeah. Because really they it started earlier early form of animation. Yeah, because it was. But do they have flip books? Like I feel like they did in the eighteen hundreds. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, they they certainly had that sort of stuff. Like I mean, a flip book is as easy as you've got a book and you make the drawings. Yeah. But the first time that they realized you could do that, yeah, was around. I mean, the first time everybody started realizing you could do that was right. around eighteen twenty four. And uh, no, I'll just really? get into the history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Eighteen twenty four with uh, Peter Mark Roget. Okay. And he published a paper called Explanation of an Optical Deception in the Appearance of the Spokes of a Wheel <laughs> when Seen Through Vertical Apertures. I feel like I've... I've um, please, give me your report. <laughs> and this is... Yeah. No. But that, that paper is often miscited uh, or misreferenced as something like the persistence of vision in uh, objects in motion or something like that. Yeah. Uh, because some film historians just got the name of the paper wrong and started oh. propagating that as oh, like, really? <laughs> this is where animation starts, people. This oh, paper, that right never here. happened. That never happened because that you've mispronounced I've it. Put oh. the wrong name on it. Oh. So, so his, his real paper was much more boring than the title the film historians gave it. Right. <laughs> that sounds more like an 1824 guy. That really does. And wow. what he was explaining was just, what do you call it, a thaumatrope. Oh. So those little flip cards. Yeah, or, or is it it's a like, stick with something on one side and something on the other side? Yep, it'd be a stick with uh, like a circular piece of paper with a drawing on one side and a drawing on the other side. Like one of them was a flower on right. one side and a vase on the other. Okay. And as you flip them, it looks like the flower's in the vase. Okay, or yes. Or the bird in the cage. Uh, that's uh, The bird in the cage is the one I've seen a lot of. Yeah, you can okay. also, you can do it with the vertical stick or the horizontal strings. Oh, Okay. Because you pull the string tight and it makes it spin or something? Yep. You kind of pull the strings tight and I've you move your fingers done. a little bit and it okay. sort of, uh, you pinch it in weird ways and it spins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, so and, that was like the first thing that people were playing with that was kind of like animation based on that principle that uh, okay that yeah. Peter Mark Rogette explained in his paper. Excellent. And then people started building off of that. They were getting excited about this, like especially as as things got closer and closer to motion picture film. Right. They were simultaneously developing um, animation because it was because film became the same thing. Right. You know, film is just frames of things that are recorded arranged in a row, but then, it works on the same vision principle uh, as these early animation things. Oh, right, because you're moving it relatively quick, so everybody looks like they're moving. Yep. That type of thing. Okay. Yeah. So they were doing a lot with that, and they came out with a phenakistoscope. Phenakistoscope? Phenakistoscope, which is a <laughs> disc that kind of looks like those um, the stereoscopic... Those t- uh, yeah, Viewmaster? The, the Viewmaster discs. Yeah. Kind of looks like that, but instead of a little piece of film at each end... There was a full-blown drawing oh. at each spoke of the wheel, you might call yeah. it. One of the ones I saw was like a couple doing a waltz. Okay. And so you've got all the frames of the couple doing a waltz arranged in this circle, and then you kind of spin it and watch it through a vertical slit. Oh, right. I, oh, I've seen pictures of that as well. I, there will be a link, because yeah. I have seen that. And uh, it kind of plays. And then you also had somebody developing which the exact same thing in a different format and they were fighting over which was superior ah uh, it was the zoetrope oh right which is the which one? same thing as that <laughs> but it's just a drum yeah and you put like a strip of paper in there with the frames on it on the inside of it yeah on the inside and you just spin the drum and there are slits all around the outside of the drum you kind of watch down at it through the slits yeah and it looks like it's moving and that's what won yep that one definitely <laughs> became more popular you know, and in the 1870s, uh, Edward Mybridge was doing his photos of horses and things and people. Yeah. Um, he was just doing photography of things in motion. Oh, okay. So people started to get a notion of what things looked like frame by frame moving Okay. Uh, in reality. So, And then uh, by 1892, Charles-Emile Renaud came out with his Theatre Optique, <laughs> um, which started out just using a phenakistoscope that he right. could project. Oh. So it was just, and a phenakistoscope was limited to 12 images because yeah. that's about all you can do on a circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it would just be these 12, like a theater of people would gather to watch 12 images, <laughs> like to watch the equivalent of like an animated GIF right R- now. Yeah. But wow. even more limited. It, right. Because it would only, it could only last three yeah. seconds. I mean, it'd sit in a dark room and <laughs> light would come on. Right. And this and, thing would just happen over and over again. It's 12 seconds. And they'd play it over loop. and over again. Cause yeah. People why would just not? be clapping for it. It's, right. You're like, it's it, moving. It's moving. And I, I came just, into a room and sat down and something on the wall started moving <laughs> as if by magic. Right, and I we better play it again because I think we charged a penny for <laughs> yeah. everybody to come in. I just paid a penny to get in here. I'm staying here all night. <laughs> but eventually, he realized that uh, this would be better if he could do more frames. Good for him. So Good he made it. He doing... made a version with a leather belt that yeah. each notch in the belt contained a glass plate that he had done an individual painting on. Wow! So he made his first film, which I think was uh, Phantasmagore. No, that's Emil Cole. Um, he made a film out of like 500 to 600 glass plates that he painted by himself. And put in and tiny put, holes in a belt? Not like the tiny holes of a real belt, but like okay, thank strap God. of leather, okay. glass plate, strap yeah. of leather, glass plate, like a chain, a chain of, of the jo- glass the plates. Long, and how many frames? About 600 frames. Holy crap! And that would just roll through his, uh, his invention, his theater optique. Right, right. And uh, play it out on the wall. Wow. People were 
mesmerized for all of the uh, what is it, 500 to 600 frames. If you were in it at like 12 frames a second, you got maybe a... Five minutes? I don't even know. I don't even think that much. Okay. <laughs> wow. Still pretty short. Yeah, like a minute. It's a, and then yeah. and then we can't watch uh, more than three minutes on YouTube. Yeah. Everybody's done. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's done after three minutes. Yeah. So he was really he was really uh, nailing it right on the head with that. <laughs> right, 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 right. And how many hits did he get? How many? What were his views? And uh, was it a yeah. hit? It was a hit. I mean, people were, were coming to board. see it because it was amazing. You know, film yeah. hadn't come out yet. Right, right. So this was the first motion picture. I mean, not not the very first motion, but it was the you know first kind of like motion picture thing people could come of, see and of any length. I mean, the theater, yeah. Six hundred frames all done in leather and glass. Yeah. Holy crap! That must have taken forever. <laughs> That's what's amazing about the early animation. Like if you yeah. watch it now, it's really hard to watch because we've been seeing stuff that's so much better. Yeah, yeah. Steamboat <laughs> you know, just, Willie. Yeah, just, even Steamboat Willie, and that was what 1930. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, just the, with animation, the technological <laughs> advancements improve the final product so much that it's <laughs> yes. so hard to go back. At, even though the amount of work that people did in the beginning is so much greater yes, than the work that people have it. done yes, <laughs> since we, then. And we love old-timey rugs yeah. and, and all the thread <laughs> count and the whole amazing silk that's been yeah. done there. The thing there is that like a handcrafted rug mm-hmm. is arguably of better quality than a mass-produced rug. <laughs> On yes. the other hand, this handcrafted animation is, is not. in no way of better quality than the mass-produced stuff. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, so in the 1900s, the only people who could really become animators were lightning drawers. And these were like vaudeville acts who would get up and do like a chalk caricature of someone in the audience or something yeah. else. And then really quickly erase it and make a new one. They were almost to the point of animating by hand. Like things would, Wow! I think they weren't really animating by hand but since they could do things so similar and but so they were called lightning drawers yeah oh wow they drew very quickly i mean they that's amazing and um uh windsor mckay and i think emile cole were both i know windsor mckay was a lightning drawer i don't okay. know if emile cole was but they were doing some of the early work in animation and it was the kind of same thing as uh renaud like they had to draw everything individually right but at least with them they could do it on paper Right. <laughs> they figured out, right. all right, I don't need to paint glass anymore. I can just do a pencil on paper, chalk on a chalkboard. Chalk on a chalkboard, quickly wipe it, draw the next image, wipe it, draw the next image kind of thing? Yeah, because by that time, film had come out, so they were filming oh, their results okay. um, and putting it together in, in a sequence, oh, which was still the- very difficult. I mean, you had to have an assistant in there kind of marking the page numbers and, right. like doing all this and keeping them in order, because if, if you drop that stack of papers... Oh. You were about to go and stack, restack 600. Right. And if they were unnumbered. Oh, my God. They're so similar, you would never know. Right. You can't even tell. It's worse than dropping a jigsaw puzzle. Like, oh. you literally can't put it together. Is this, does it come before this piece or after? No idea. I got nothing. No idea. I guess Gertie we'll the, start was over. Gertie the dinosaur moving right to left or left to right? <laughs> oh, man. I don't remember. I, oh, I just finished drawing that. Like- so Windsor McKay drew Gertie the Dinosaur yeah. in that way. And that was a piece that started going around a lot, um, you know, silent film. But he would accompany it with piano and his own performance. So oh, okay. the animator would stand in front of the screen and interact with the dinosaur. He had this whole routine down. Oh, it was say, part of his stage act. Yeah. Okay. You do it as a stage act. You'd have the projection. Mm-hmm. The dinosaur would walk out. Mm-hmm. And he'd tell it to sit and it would sit. 
Right. He would misbehave, take something out of his hand. Okay. He'd, you know, snap a whip and it would Crack start behaving and, again. Right, yeah. right. Oh, that's awesome. Why? Yeah. And that then at the end, sense. he would step behind the screen mm-hmm. and a little animated man would appear on the screen and would step on the dinosaur's head and go up and ride it away into the sunset. Wow. Wow, that is the original prop comic right there. Yeah. That is the <laughs> most prop. That's so much work. <laughs> yeah, his prop was uh, his prop took him like a year to draw. To, right, to draw it, and then he had to rehearse with it, and then, uh, yeah. wow. And then people saw it, and then they got bored six months later, and you're like, no, I hate you. I hate you. This took three people, years to make. People got bored much less easily like then because there was a lot less in the theaters. Right, so they, they didn't get to see it, really. Yeah, it was yes. like this or a play. Right. It was kind of, I mean, it was kind of a novelty. It was like... What's his name again? It's Windsor McKay. Okay. And Windsor McKay also did some work with things that had previously been comics. He animated some little Nemo characters. Oh. Nemo being a... Uh, the, you know, the, the, the comic of the time. Right, and, and Nemo the, the, the captain, the ship captain, no? Uh, not Nemo, the captain of the <laughs> Jules Verne submarine. Yeah, that's but uh, uh, Nemo in the in, oh, in the comic land. strip. Yeah, the comic strip in the newspaper in the twenties or whatever. Yeah, okay. And Coco the clown. Okay, who I think is from that series or was his own thing. I don't remember, but right, he animated that, and so there was a lot of early animation. There was a lot of influence from. Uh, the comic strips of the time. From those comic strips. Okay. And that's how it was sort of developing that cartoon style. Yeah. Because that's how comics were drawn. Okay. And, um, you know, the development is really similar to what Scott McCloud describes in his Understanding Comics right. book of, like, the development of art. Yeah. It's all kind of condensed in uh, the development of animation. Because once you get past the 1910s and you get into the 20s, now you're into people making features and theatrical shorts. Right. Uh, the Russians are getting into it. The Russians? Um, the, in, the, in around Bastards. 1911, <laughs> a guy named... No, I don't remember the guy's name, but... <laughs> oh, yeah? A guy, in, a Russian, uh, early Russian animator, created a piece that any uh, animation history student will watch called The Cameraman's Revenge. Okay. Which was the first uh, sort of modern-looking stop-motion piece where... Okay. You had uh, bugs with wires kind of run through them. Right. Like he basically took his little taxidermy collection. Okay. And wired them up on, you know, metal wires and had them kind of walk around in stop motion. And there's a story of a, I think it was like a grasshopper cameraman. Okay. Catching his wife in the act with a beetle. Wow. Like I that. have never heard of that animation ever. It's insane. It's crazy. And it's a Russian it's one awesome. from It's awesome. It's from 1911. I'd say that's the most watchable 1911 animation <laughs> to or, still exist. That was the thing about animation. Animation had, had more editorial or, or developed, you know, sort of editorial style faster than film did. Because with film, at first it was just like, well, we're just going to record something and that's going to be the film. Right. The one action, chronologically. Right. Chronologically. Don't cut. <laughs> oh, right, right. We're just going to actually. Took people a while just to figure out, oh, we can cut. And go right. to something else. Right. Out of sequence. Because they were thinking plays, probably. Yeah. They were like, no, no, we're going to have a show. Right. We're going to do a stage show and then bring it to everybody. And then bring it to everybody. But animation, they're busy making every single frame anyway. Yeah. So they could put it in any order. Yeah. Okay. That's why there's more story. Yeah. Okay. There was originally more story. I mean, the ones that were drawn actually have somewhat less story. 
than the stop, mo- at least than that stop motion piece, because a lot of like with Emile Cole, right? You know, he's just some surrealist French guy, so oh. he, he would just go from one thing to the next. A lot of it just you know would flow into each other, so there'd be like a a, a you know a ball, and the ball becomes a balloon, and then the balloon oh. pops, and the pops become rain or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he and- <laughs> There wasn't really the, the it's story. Like, oh, of the there's balloon. nothing going on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why? Because there's nothing going on, man. Yeah. There's nothing going on. <laughs> yeah, that's the message. That's the message of his dealio. So, um, so when you get to the 20s, um, you get the studios starting to build up. Okay. And you've got the Fleischers doing Betty Boop. Okay. Uh, and some of the original Popeye cartoons. Oh yeah. Something like that, and uh, that's when Disney started building his empire. Yep. Um, but the Fleischers were not Disney. There, there was the, the a Fleischers were not Disney. Yeah, who, they were, were. They were a pair of brothers who were just kind of doing the same thing Disney they, was doing, running okay. competition with him. Yep, and they created um, Betty Boop. Yeah, and they were they were you know also adapting comics of the time. Like Popeye was a comic strip. Okay, and they were making adaptations of that, and it was all for um, theatrical uh, like leaders. You know, like before a film back then, before a film would be shown. They'd okay. show a cartoon before the film. So anytime, you know, theaters were buying films the way they do now, but they'd also be buying uh, shorts to animated go be- shorts to go before the films. And those are called leaders? Kind of like, is that why they were called I, I, I just call them leaders, but... Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I forget what they're... They just call them theatrical shorts. Okay. I like the idea of calling them leaders because yeah, they movies would lead were in. called le- trailers. Yeah. Because they used to go after, right? That that's, might be, yeah. That was what's what I was told, is that the ads for the next yeah, movies yeah. Were, would trail the actual feature film. That would make like, sense. Here's yeah. the trailers. And, um, well, and, now the trailers are such a production that they don't need a theatrical short. Right. Now it's all just like, I just want to watch that vamp- uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter thing over and over and over again. Yeah. That ad for that? That looks pretty fantastic. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the Fleischers had their thing, and uh, Disney had his thing, and then... You know, it was sort of an arms race between them. They were developing technology. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Fleischer, like Disney developed a multiplane camera and the Fleischers developed a multiplane camera. And they were really developing the tools of what would become modern animation. Yeah. Like, they, you know, they were like, I want to do, I want to film the backgrounds separately from the foreground because why do we need to animate this background over and over again? Oh, right. And so, you know, they had celluloid and cells were developed. Okay. And then it was like, I want perspective to happen i noticed that when i move my head from side to side yeah things in the scene move depending on how distant they are from me okay they move differently and i can simulate that in 2d by having them on different layers all uh, separated by space okay and so disney invented a multiplane camera multiplane uh, being sort of like a like, like you'd have different glass plates at different heights kind of next going in a column down and the camera would be positioned over that okay and then Sort of creating You'd, a diorama? No. Yeah. Well, you could... It, well, it was flat. You know, okay. It would, it would be yeah, flat yeah. layers. It's like what people do in After Effects or Flash now. Okay. Where you have multiple layers. Okay. And then you just move them at different speeds. Oh, yeah. I actually or do in, know what that means. It, it took the third sentence for me to go, oh, I remember that. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> So I think Disney's multiplane camera just had them at different distances, and then you'd move the camera... And you get the perspective because okay. they're at different distances. So when yep. the camera moves, they seem to move at different speeds. Because they're recording at uh, different, okay, different, yeah. dis- different distances. Because okay. they're all different distances from the camera. 
and that's you know that was great for like really close for yeah uh, not really close foreground stuff as long as the close foreground stuff didn't have a lot of dimensionality to it if it was sort of like foliage or whatever okay you know it would kind of seem like oh there goes that and i see the background going Mm -hmm. and there's the sun (laughs) right (laughs) and all that oh it's all shifting just the way it would in real life in real life but not um okay but you know, with if you're really close to a camera and it moves, like a lot of stuff changes. Yeah. So it's not enough to just put a character right up in the foreground and move the camera. Yeah. Because then you're just seeing kind of their. Uh, they stay like the a same flat size image of the, Yeah, it's like something. seeing a dollar bill just get moved across your <laughs> plane of vision. All right. Um, wow. But so Disney and the Fleischers were in competition up to that point of developing the multiplane camera, and then sound came along and Steamboat Willie. Mm-hmm. came out and then Disney just caught, you know, just got ahead of them on the sound thing. Okay. Really got sync sound down and was just releasing theatrical short after theatrical short of these um sound things with more and more realistic animation. Mm-hmm. And uh his animators were developing systems of movement and character animation that were just a lot had had much more verisimilitude with the real world. Okay. And people were really impressed by that. You know, you had and they did, they little, just essentially just pigs marching. The, yeah, the they Fleischers. destroyed the Fleischers. Okay, ah. financially speaking, right, right. The uh, pigs. What about the pigs? Oh, you know, like uh, there was a an original silly symphony um, where it was like some pigs playing in a band. Yeah, something that was one of those early talky cartoons with the music synced with the animation. Oh. And they won an Oscar for that one. Okay, because it was right. so just mind blowing. Yeah, it was a mind blowing technical achievement. Of nice. Like beyond, it was like beyond Steamboat Willie. It was a whole symphony thing happening, and it would go along with the elements in the scene of like the wind and the pigs marching around, the characterization. Yeah. Wow. You know, and that kind of developed into stuff like Fantasia, mm-hmm. Peter and the Wolf. So like that. was it easier for it to be black and white and then color? Oh, as soon as they could do color. That was the other thing that killed the Fleischers, was that as soon as Disney could do color, he was doing it. Right. And he was, he would never go back. And he never went back to black and white. <laughs> no, absolutely. He was, he was just like, no, we're doing, we're going to kill them. We're doing it- color. Because that's what kept butts in seats. Right. Is, you know, the shiny. Oh my gosh, it's colorful. Oh yeah. my gosh, there's music. You know, before movies are even in color. Right. I'm watching this animation in full color on a screen. Really? That I'm only used to seeing black and white things in. Wait, did animated uh, animate did color animation come out before color film? Um, you know, or, I'm I, I can, I'm I wrong on that, that in the sense that the mass produced color animation was okay. was sort of coincided with color film. Okay, I think, but I, I might I, be mixing up color and sound right now. Okay, but um, <laughs> you could do color animation before color film existed because you could draw directly onto pieces of film. Right. So. Not cell animation, but certain animated sequences uh, back in that time and certain theatrical shorts that were more experimental in nature right. would be color because somebody would like paint in actual <laughs> pieces of color onto. on that yeah. cell. But it's such it a tiny sense. plane that you can't do anything that epic or interesting, but you might do something like there was a sequence that was going to be in Fantasia and I think wasn't where it was like lines kind of drawn down the film plane that sort of matched up with the soundtrack. Yeah. And so the shapes would move and do things in a very expressionistic way um, to the music, and colors would change. You know, they'd ah. paint different backgrounds onto right, the right. film and paint the lines in different colors or just scratch them in. Yeah. 
and uh, that didn't I've make seen it. it. It's pretty. It, I don't think it made the cut. Okay, I don't remember that part? But it they was, but they made it. Yeah, and then and then it got edited out. Yeah, it's gonna be so. weird to edit out animation, right? Because you spent all this time to make it. Yeah, it's like it's like Patton Oswalt's joke about the uh, the the uh, those writers' rooms, yeah, the punch up scripts where he's gets in there and he's like, ah, oh, change this, do this, drop this scene. Like, yeah. uh, this is an animation that's already done. We've rendered out all the computer animation for this. We're not cutting anything. Yeah, nothing's being cut. It's, uh... <laughs> we just spent a million dollars. We just spent a hundred million dollars on this. Now, what I I heard this guy, I heard a, a, a speech by one of the Pixar guys. Yeah. And he was talking about how they essentially make those Pixar movies three times. Mm-hmm. They make the entire film, then they watch it, and then they edit it. Wow. Yeah. It's, I should find that. You would, you would yeah. love that. I, do they really make it three? Like they full on make it. Wow. Like I, I don't think that it's fully colored and everything. Right. But it's they. The, you have to first of all when you pitch a, a movie to Pixar. Yeah. Uh, you pitch the entire script. Right. It takes an hour and a half to pitch <laughs> the 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 movie because you're pitching the entire freaking script. Right. And then they make the movie, and then they watch the movie, and then they're like, "Well, actually, that doesn't work." <laughs> and then they remake the movie. Supposedly, mm-hmm. they make the movie three times. Wow, that's why it takes so long. Is that the? But that's okay. And 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 I, I guess that is their model. Hmm. Which I would makes have thought they wonder... do more storyboarding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And and then you wonder why Cars Two blows. Right. And uh, but I think it might just be because anthropomorphizing cars isn't made for me. Anyway, yeah. But that's the way it goes. Probably not one of the ones that anybody was that. Into Con- doing, yeah, their- committed. Yeah, they were like, whatever. Yeah. I, there's a thousand toddler boys who are going to buy this if we make it or we don't make it. Let's just yeah. make it. And uh, so Disney's on a rampage. Yeah. So historic. Back yeah, to the yeah. history for a back second. To the Let's do it. Forties. Disney is on a rampage. He's yeah. you know just winning left and right <laughs> until the animated strike of of uh, in the forties. In the forties. Okay. Sometime in the forties. And at that point, there was a young animator named John Hubley who was one of the union organizers within the animators and also had gotten an interest in uh, limited animation, which was something they had seen when Disney brought them some stuff from Russia. Okay. It was like, here's what they're doing in Russia. Here's this animation. Mm -hmm. Make something like this for one of our shorts. Right. And it was done in a sort of a limited style where it wasn't like every frame of a character's motion was rendered in a, you know, sort of realistic way or comic book realistic way. Okay. Um, where it was just full fluid motion. It would be like things would move when they had to move. Otherwise, things would move in sort of a formal or geometric okay. way. So it's like, you know, you'd have maybe a, a little figure of a person and you couldn't really see their arms or legs and they would just sort of move. Like if it was a sleigh ride scene or something. Right. They'd be on the sleigh. The sleigh would move along the landscape. And then at some point... The person's eyes would move over to look at the person next to them. Okay, so um, what, what I think of is relatively shitty animation. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And this, okay. there's a reason for that. Okay. Now, the original like limited animation stuff was done for reason by artists who knew what they were doing and were doing these for, you know, to produce an effect. Okay. <laughs> and it would be good. It was yeah. like beautiful. You know, they would take the resources they were saving by not drawing everything over and over again. Right. And make beautiful drawings. Ah. And also... You know, make uh, the story and the story sort of resonate and made sense with that animation, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it would be very symbolic, but, you know. And a lot of the 
limited animation from Russia or, or some of the limited animation from Russia that's really good has the feel of like the old Russian artwork from like churches and, okay, you know, Eastern Orthodox type of... Uh, just very cultural and, and, yeah. and resonates like that or... And just What's very, the name? Did you the, write down any of the Russian no, I ones? For, I forgot some of those. I mean, I know later on there's Yuri Norstein okay. who was doing cutout animation and is sort of the master of that. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. Still, though he hasn't produced anything since his last big thing. Right. In the 79, which has yeah. been twice voted the greatest animation in the world. What's his name? <laughs> Yuri Norstein. And what was the name of the piece he did in 79? The greatest animation in the world, which was voted by some panel right. somewhere twice, uh, was called Skaska Skazak. Yeah. It's Tale of Tales. Okay. Wow. And it's sort of about, it's about really about Russia. Yeah. And it's just sort of a Russian history thing. There's a okay. whole waltz sequence where women are waltzing with their husbands and then the husbands start like missing, start disappearing uh, and then coming back with missing limbs or... <laughs> The poor Russians. Yeah. For some reason, they can't catch a break. No. Nope. I don't know if it's because of where they live or... It's cold there. <laughs> it's really chilly, and they just they have a, a real attitude problem it's, about, it's about a dark, themselves. Yes. Dark I, sense of when, Russian whenever culture. You, yeah, whenever you read anything about the Russian people, you're like, why do you hate yourselves? What's <laughs> happening? I think you're great. Every, everything's pretty dark over pretty there. Pretty grim. It's such a grim yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah, you, which is one of my other dorkdoms that I won't get into is the folklore. Oh, Russian folklore or all? Folklore? I specifically studied a lot of Russian folklore, but right. Yeah, it's and it's all got that same feeling. Patrick really Brady, are, are you of Russian ancestry? No. Okay, <laughs> really? Because you have a you have a dark Russian look to you. Are you? Yeah, a, yeah. Are just, you, maybe I've just been cultivating that because I've been watching too maybe, much. Possibly there's some <laughs> brooding. There's some brooding. Yeah. What? Uh, um, okay, so we're in the '40s and there was the strike. So in the 40s, there's a strike. And there was and the invention. Hubley leaves. Yeah. And wants to pursue limited animation. Right. Um, and starts, and he invents Mr. Magoo over at Screen Gems. What? Mr. Magoo? Yeah. He did? Yeah. He, All right. I mean, he didn't necessarily invent the character. He might have invented the character. But, but he was there They on came the up with that character. Floor. He okay. was the lead animator. He directed the Mr. Magoo shorts. And he started stealing Oscars from Disney. Up uh, to that point, yes. every every year at the Oscars, it was like, which Disney short's going to win the Oscar? Yep. Now, Mr. Magoo's winning Oscars. Uh, and Gerald awesome. McBoing Boing is winning Oscars. Oh, Gerald um, McBoing Boing. It's another Hubbly piece. And it okay. was just like an early sort of sound and um, sound and color-based uh, right. animation. And so, yeah, wait a minute. They weren't doing color films until the 60s, right? Color? No, no. Yeah. Co- um, it was... Uh, Wizard of Oz was in color. That's right. Right, thirty nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was just cheaper. So they were doing. They're still doing a lot they were of black still and doing white plenty films. Plenty of black and white until the fifties, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. everything went color. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, so animation had just gone completely color. Right, right away from the thirties. Yeah. yeah, and so um, you had Hubley making these limited animations that were just so kinetic and stylistic, and yeah. were really. Um, he was collaborating. Really cool looking. Yeah, really cool looking. He was collaborating with Saul Bass mm-hmm. on um, on things at that time, like the uh, the opening animation for Vertigo, okay, um, and things like that. But basically, you know, the sense of it was very typographic, very it felt very, very graphic, modern. Yeah. yeah, it was really modern. Yeah, um, it was even more 
musical than stuff that had that full range of motion. Right. Because, you know, if a trumpet suddenly hit and the background suddenly changed to like, you know, a big blast of a different color Mm -hmm. without any kind of transition there, Mm -hmm. that felt more like the music did than the color, say, ramping up or somebody doing a full twirl versus, you know, shooting up in the air and exploding or something. Yeah. Um, So limited animation caught on and was really cool. But then uh, McCarthyism hit, yeah, and John Hubley refused to name names, uh-huh. so he got blacklisted. He's gone, but Screen Gems still has that limited animation technique, right? And the thing with limited animation is that once it's out of the hands of somebody really dedicated to making good art, it just becomes a tool to make cheap animation, right? And that is right. what happened. That. Uh, because theatrical shorts started dying in the 50s. Yeah. Or in the late 50s as television became more and more the thing. And theaters stopped doing a lot of... And theaters just started showing the features. Right. You know, like, eh, no more shorts, just features. Right, right. So the animation companies died out. And uh, Hannah and Barbara were fresh off of Tom and Jerry. Yes. And said to them... And said to... Started going on to TV studios saying, hey... Uh, I know you've been licensing all these uh, theatrical shorts. Right. How would you like to have animation made specifically for TV? It's fresh oh. and current and modern, and we can do it cheap. Right. Yeah, <laughs> And they did can. do it cheap. And they can. And that was the Flintstones. And that was the Flintstones. <laughs> yes. And, you know, they would keep the, the writing cheap the by just, yeah, they'd <laughs> keep the writing cheap by just ripping off shows that existed at the time and having oh. people come on and imitate uh, the actors from those shows, like, mm-hmm. you know, Honeymooners equals well, Flintstones. Honeymoon I mean, they did this whole sequence in The Simpsons. Right. When uh, the Itchy and Scratchy guy was on trial. Oh, right. And he started yeah, yeah. going through all the the different actors who they'd ripped off in these, uh, in these animations. Yes. Yes. And that's kind of where animation went off the rails in a way because it stopped being taken seriously as an art form and started being... Just relegated to an age ghetto. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. that's what they call it on tvtropes.com. TVtropes.org. They call it the animation age ghetto. Oh, nice. Which is the cultural perception that animation is for kids. Right. uh, Which limits people from doing anything cool with animation. Right, right. Oh. Because no one's going to pour money into that kids thing unless it's for kids. Right. Um, Man. But then, I mean, that changed by the 70s. But basically, Mm -hmm. you know. Late 50s through 60s was just all Hanna-Barbera dominated, uh, kind of Saturday morning cartoon stuff, right. Flintstones, Jetsons. You know, at the, In their heyday, Hanna-Barbera was just producing ripoffs of their own cartoons over and over <laughs> again. It got to the point that by the end, when they finally were about to go out of business... What the hell is going on? <laughs> my phone. Yay! It's, it's my dad. Should oh, I that, reject no, it? Peter. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> he likes to call me up and say, Jackie, this is your father. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I know that. I, know, I, I recognized your voice. And then I received a text message okay. from Andy Ashcraft telling me that he had saffron rice pudding for lunch. Yeah. I, I like the blow by blow. It's nice. <laughs> How far are we in now? We're, we're at an hour. Wow, already. I know it. That's what happens. You, you've been there. You, All right, let me the blast is, through the rest of this history. Yeah, boy. <laughs> You're like, no, no, we have to closure. We need closure. We're only at the 70s. We're only at the 70s. So, all right, so Hanna-Barbera starts doing poorly by the 80s. Right. And their their last successful thing on Saturday morning is the Smurfs. 
Oh, and then which is so wrong. Yeah, and then they try the snorks because oh, <laughs> all they know how to do at this point is like if something rip. starts tanking, just rip it off and put it out again yeah. oh with, God, different with different drawn name. characters. And, oh. and it failed hard, and, and so. That's when everybody else, you know, he. That's when I came in. He Man right. and Shira Ooh, came on. All nice, the toy nice franchises, people. Transformers, yeah. and all of that. Yeah, came in and sort of took over. And that was when the quality of animation had really gotten to its lowest point. Right. So if you watch a Masters of the Universe cartoon now, it is practically unwatchable. Yeah. But what's even worse than that is <laughs> when you get to the '90s and there's the X Men cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. It's they. They were. That was just bad production. It was just really poor execution. Right. The tools at the time existed, but their budget prevented them from going back and doing things like checking key frames or uh, quality controlling the artwork, right. staying on model. Oh, my gosh. Things like that. So you'd have a model of the character drawn up there, and it would just be whatever that the next person in the chain's interpretation of what that model was would right. end up in the final drawing. So as Storm spoke to Jubilee in the first episode, every time she lifts her head up, the shape of her head changes. Every time she turns her head, like her hair really? gets different. Oh. <laughs> Things just, it's just horrible to watch because it's not even like a fluid moving thing, like some kind of it's psychedelic animation. Animated. It's just there's a shift and it's different and wrong now. Right. And so it was terrible. And at the same time, all these great things were going on. You know, you had Rugrats coming out. Yeah. Uh, Ren and Stimpy. Mm-hmm. All these things that were kind of new or pre- not really seen techniques yeah. in animation from artists who were uh, just doing interesting things in their respective countries. Yeah. Um, when did Coming when- out and getting on Nickelodeon. Because the thing is, is if that limited thing that Hubby was doing... Yeah. Um, John Hubley and his... Hubley, that's it. ...in animations. And he was going all the way until he died in the... Sometime in the 70s. Okay. And... But what about, like... It, 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 I like the idea that he did he did that because that was what he wanted to work with. He was really passionate about it. And he okay. thought it just had a great potential to be more evocative than the more realistic animation. Yeah. You know, if you have that chart that Scott McCloud made in his yeah. book, it's like Disney was over on the left side of that triangle over with the realists, mm-hmm. and Hubley was all the way over on the right side of the triangle over with the, um, you know, the expressionists. Yeah. And maybe a little upward toward the formalists as he got on in years, because he liked to, you know, shapes and things moving, but he wasn't, he still liked narrative. Right, right. And so what, like South Park... Yeah, South Park is is definitely limited animation, but as yeah. they as they developed and moved on, it's still in a limited style, but they've got the tools of you know, full full range, full frame, do anything kind of animation that they can just break into at any moment. Yeah. And sometimes they do that. They mix it up. You know, it's it's, it's almost getting like postmodern. Yeah, it's very much uh, with the rest of our lives ahead of us. Uh, Wyatt Snack is not psyched that the train right at the bottom of the stairs yeah. is uh, isn't running. Yeah, so he's like, uh, not sure how long it'd take me to get there now. Trying to figure out, but may have to postpone. <laughs> I just want I just want to email him back and go pull it off. It's I mean it's uh, <laughs> and it's I am such a huge fan of yeah. Please, it should because it's supposed to be fun, you know. Yeah. And it is a. Did you walk from the Seventh Avenue? Yeah. Is that what happened? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because it's it's not convenient. No. 
Because you'd have to get off at the next stop and then come back come if back. you wanted to, yeah. and it's the same fifteen minutes. Yep. So you're like, well, I might as well walk it. And yeah. uh, well, let's. Um, you can either do a lecture <laughs> series for a minute okay. while I text him, or I can take this out and post. All right. Well, then let me let me just go on, I guess, with the uh, <laughs> a little more. So we're please do. So we get through the '60s. We're in the '70s, and Hanna Barbera is just going along, doing what it's doing. And then Ralph Bakshi starts doing cartoons for adults that studios are interested in. And because it's an alternative and because animation has been in the age ghetto for so long that people are sort of refreshed by the idea that you could have an X-rated animation. Um, so he does Fritz the Cat based oh, okay. on a comic. Yeah. Um, and that comes out and makes a big splash. But it's X-rated, so it's kind of limited release. Um, but since Deep Throat had already happened... <laughs> <laughs> they theaters were willing to put X-rated things in the in the box office. Then he did a film called Heavy Traffic. Okay. And then he got really into fantasy and started doing. Um, he got hired by Rankin Bass to direct the Lord of the Rings animation. And yes. by that time, he kept getting beset with budget troubles, and would turn to rotoscoping to try and save money. So instead of you know, so his animations were interesting, but instead of doing the kind of limited animation with like, you know, Yogi Bear's eyes would only move when they had to and his mouth would move without the rest of his face moving. Instead of that, he would just get some people in a studio room or even just get stock footage of a fight happening (laughs) and and trace it. He would get it photocopied by IBM for a penny a frame uh, for the film stock, photocopied onto pieces of paper and then trace those, and that was the animation, just people's wow. full bodies moving. And that is the thing people hate the most about the Lord of the Rings animation. It's just like the orcs come on. Right. And it's like you can see the guys in leotards sort of <laughs> running around fighting. Yes, because there's nothing. Did you Wait, did you see Wizards? Yeah, Wizards was also Bakshi. Was that, that was him and Lucas. Okay, because, you know, I've, I've written a chapter in the Comedy Film Nerds yeah. um, book that's coming out about mm-hmm. fantasy. And yeah, yeah. I accidentally saw Wizards. Yep. And I always say that whenever I don't like something. Yeah. I accidentally saw yeah, Wizards yeah, yeah. in college. No, yeah. Ba- like, I, I'm a big – I would be a big critic of Bakshi for yeah. just relying on rotoscoping so much. Right. Because it's such a terrible idea to yeah. do. Like, I mean, at the time it seemed new and interesting – but when the results were always just garbage, right. why you do you keep doing it? Why would you keep going with that? And <laughs> Because studios are paying for it. But, yeah, a, yeah. but you do it once when they back up a giant truck of money at your house. Right. The next time, you don't. You go, oh, I'm going to do it either yeah, mo- that, correctly or I'm not going to. That sucked. Give me you. more money so I can do it right. Yeah. And, like, and No, do it that way. That was fine. And I also didn't like the story of Wizards. Yeah. I mean, it was also... You know, by the time that he was doing his kind of fantasy stuff, it was all just falling into that sort of late 70s, early 80s, prog rock. Yeah. Or like Frank Frazetta, whatever, just... It it felt like a faux kind of populist kind of thing, where it wasn't real. It didn't feel like it had any heart to it. Yeah, just heartless... Probably like uh, subconsciously chauvinistic, right? Without <laughs> any sort of real sense of hey, we're actually, yeah. I mean, it, there was a chance. It was it was like a reactionary kind of punk rock kind. Do you ever see Repo Man, the the Emilio Estevez? Right, right, right. It's 
I love the movie itself was was great, mm-hmm. but it was about nothing for no one. Yep. To do nothing. It was essentially <laughs> yeah. a slice of life of people you don't like. Right. And uh, <laughs> But I thoroughly enjoyed it. Kind of like Seinfeld. A little bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> slice that. of life of people you don't like. <laughs> Very. That was episodic. And, uh, and so, yeah, and so Wizards was like that, but it wasn't even... But, but it yeah, wanted, but now it's even more detached because it's fantasy. Right. And it pretended to, to mean something. Like, right. Repo Man didn't pretend to mean anything. Yeah. Seinfeld made fun of the fact that it didn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Wizards actually thought that it was saying something. Yeah. And what it was saying was foul when you, <laughs> like, scratch at it at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so the same thing happened with Fire and Ice, which was his next thing. Oh, yeah? Which they're thinking of redoing. Oh, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, but Fire and Ice just... Yeah, it it actually had no critical reaction either. Like Ebert was like, "Oh my god!" He was like, "Somebody, yeah." Ebert was like, "Somebody told me if you love no, no." Ebert reacted to Cool World, which was Bakshi's last thing. Oh, okay. In Hollywood, before he went into early retirement, Um, he made Cool World, but he had a different script. Okay. His, I mean, his script was equally horrible as the real one that that got in there. (laughs) Maybe his script was like a man has sex with a cartoon. And the baby they produce comes to the real world and kills him. Oh, Oedipus my style. Good lord! <laughs> I have nothing to say to that except for good lord. The real movie like ends with him having sex with the cartoon, <laughs> and Man. she becomes Kim Basinger. Uh, in oh, in uh, Roger Rabbit. In Cool World. Oh, in Cool World. Oh, wait a minute! And so somebody told Ebert, if you, you loved said- Roger Rabbit, you're gonna love Cool World. It was like the D- this oh. DJ they hired to do the premiere, and he was like, <laughs> he was like. I did, and I did not. And I did not, yes. Because I, who doesn't <laughs> I love Roger, Roger Rabbit. Rabbit? Yeah, Roger Rabbit was a big, uh, was a trigger for the, what, what they call the Disney Renaissance. Oh, yeah. That happened in the 80s when they started coming to TV and then started doing their better films. Yes. That ran through the 90s up to The Lion King. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like Roger Rabbit was when they pulled all these all the these characters and properties from the uh, theatrical shorts out of their vaults and put them in one big movie. Was wait was Roger Rabbit done by Disney? It was. No. I, I can't remember. I don't think it was done by. Wait, I, I don't. Right, but they had I, Disney characters in it. They had Disney's characters in it, and I remember it being this huge reveal. Like yeah. everybody was like, "Oh my oh god! Oh my god!" Yeah, because at first it was next to Daffy Duck, and yeah, because at first it was just Roger Rabbit, who was like this nut, you know, this fictional, complete, a fictional, fictional character, exactly. And uh, that was directed by Richard Williams, who uh, spent thirty years making his own animation, The Thief and the Cobbler. Oh yeah, nineteen sixty four to nineteen ninety five. Okay. A lot of funding troubles. That's what he used. Oh. <laughs> Not that he actually spent 30 years working on it. He just spent 30 years waiting for the money to come in. Oh, fair enough. Uh, that was New York in the background. That yes. Was crashing. But, um, yeah. So, so, yeah, Roger Rabbit's amazing. Yeah. Roger Rabbit was great. And yeah. that sort of prompted Disney to sort of move forward with making better animations. Yeah. And it also renewed people's interest in animated features because you know you had roger rabbit and you had all these characters and just reminded people hey they're there they exist right and then when did it all become digital um computer generated yeah kind of in the 2000s i mean disney was using um a system i forget it's some acronym i forget what it was but they were using a system for doing uh digital assisted 
you know, drawn animation right. f- since the early 90s. I mean, they were a very early adopter of digital methods. Right. But everything still started with pencil. Yeah. And even in um, Japan in the studio system now, like they're, you know, everything's finished on digital, but they always start with pencil drawings. Oh, like all that Miyazaki stuff? and Yeah, Miyazaki. Even just the TV studio stuff. Okay. Um, even stuff on TV. And stuff here, um, the same way. Most of it, except for like stuff that's all in Flash and things like that, which is yeah. kind of late 90s, early 2000s, started mm-hmm. that trend. Stuff that's all in Flash will just be done all in Flash. But stuff that looks really good is generally started on pencil. Well, you know, um, I, I went into and that. And then you just kind of scan in the stuff and clean it up in digital and color it in digital uh, and do everything. So all you need to do is the sketches for one character. That's a lot easier than making a whole thing. Oh, right, right. Cause then you can, you can adapt from that, from the main pen and pencil or pencil yeah. and paper. Right. You start drawing. with a, yeah, you start with like a pencil and paper kind of rough sketch of the whole animation and then you, you clean know, it up and add in all the, the frames. You, yeah, you can do like some keyframing. Yeah, you can do keyframing there okay. um, in the program and smooth things out. Um, and then what they have now is that the stuff you've drawn for the backgrounds, like the backgrounds are always very detailed yeah, because they only need to be drawn once. Right. And the stuff you can draw for the backgrounds now, you can kind of isolate parts of it and attach it onto 3D geometry in the background and kind of have this 3D scene going on so that if you wanted to do the camera rotating around your character yeah. in a big crowded scene, like in the middle of a city. Yeah. The city stuff is all already on, you know, little blocks that represent the buildings and things like that. So you don't need to redraw the background. Okay. It already, it just redraws itself as your camera moves. Yeah. And all you need to draw is the character rotating. Yeah. Yeah. Which is something that's hard for animation students, easy for studios. They've got a 3d model of that character sitting there. <laughs> They've got artists. All they need to do is look up and draw it. Okay. Wow. Um, Wait, a 3D model. When you say 3D model, you're talking about an actual model? Like yeah, an they, they mock up their like characters a... that way. Most studios. They make like a guy. They yeah, make... yeah. They make okay. a little guy of the character so that you have all the perspectives to look at. Yeah. Like if you're thinking, all right, my camera angle is like above him and over his shoulder. So if I just hold him like this, oh, that's okay. what he looks like. That's what he looks like. And then I can just draw that. Yeah. You know, I want I want to have Greg Franklin on who did the, the animation of the animal. Oh, yeah, yeah. And find out because I went in. A couple of times um, mm-hmm. to talk to him while he he did the storyboards and right. um, and he said that that was the last time I would get a chance to change anything right because then he's just going to crank away then he's just going to crank away and when he showed me the storyboards I was like why do we have to even go do any more because it? it's done as far as it looks awesome and he was like get away from my toy yeah it's not done yet not done and yeah, that's um, the the animatic phase they um, they published that on uh, the Frederator blog the people who do adventure time yeah they like to publish some of their storyboards for upcoming episodes oh that's awesome adventure time so you hear the voices and see the little um just boards of what's going to happen just boards of yeah and it was and it was amazing so but i don't know i don't it was that you know that cartoon is so fully animated mm-hmm. that i don't know if i know there was no model there was no model of me uh, right. which would have been awesome uh but but there was well, there weren't a lot of perspective changes on you. Yeah, there was right? no... And, and the other yeah. thing is that the, they also will just sometimes do an eight-direction, you know, eight frames yeah. of the person that have all been matched once to a model so that if you're drawing them, you can just look up at those eight 
different directions of them facing different ways. And just pull that? And kind of pull from that. Yeah, okay. you don't need necessarily like a 3D model in front of you, but often you'll have, re- you'll have a lot of references. Yeah, and he, and he watched um, YouTube video, essentially, of me doing the joke. Mm-hmm. And then he watched... And then I didn't like the character that he drew of me. Mm-hmm. And I said, I actually... I want to be better looking than that. And, uh, <laughs> and he was like, okay, I'm going to need a little more information than that. Right. And he said, why don't you find a video of yourself? It doesn't have to be telling that joke, but a video of yourself that you don't mind how you look. Mm-hmm. And I will base the character on that. <laughs> and I was like, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so I did. And uh, yeah. And so now it is immortalized, that sweater that I no longer have. Because it, it's from a video of me telling a joke, wearing that sweater. And then he animated mm-hmm. that sweater. And I have no idea where that sweater <laughs> is. I love that sweater. Gone. Yeah. Anyway, it's a, it's a story of a sweater. I'm not going to tell it again. I'm, yeah. I apologize. Okay. So, there, was, there was a great style to that video, too. It was very... Um, yeah. You know, it was very much in the, in the style of, like, Tex Avery kind of stuff or, um, you know, Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, it had... <laughs> Most it, things like with that. With the animals, for sure, with a lot of the... Yeah. And, and the lady, like, the different the different characters I was talking to had a, had a sort of a Ren and Stimpy kind of yeah. creepy feel. I remember trying to watch Ren and Stimpy and just being kind of creeped out. It was really creepy. Yeah. And, I mean, they were going for that. They wanted to get under people's skin and Success. kids' skin. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. it, I mean, it really stuck in your head yeah. after you saw it. Um, and one thing with them was that, you know, I was just talking about models and references. Yeah. They, the guy who makes Ren and Stimpy is a big proponent of going off model. Okay. He likes, you know, doing stuff that's off model, but he does it in a good way. Yeah. Oh, you know, he does yeah. it for reasons. Yes. I mean, you know, yeah, the character is having an aneurysm. Of course, it's going to not look like <laughs> the character you drew when he's sitting at the table eating breakfast. Right. And now did that same guy, who did Beavis and Butthead? That was, um... Someone uh, was it? Wait, Plimpton? I mean, it was Mike. It was a Mike Judge thing, but I don't know if yeah. he animated it. But okay. I don't think it was Plimpton either. I no. can find it and put it in the yeah. Yeah, but whoever, the, if it's not the same guy who animated, Beavis but, and but it because, had that same sort of feel. But that might have been the writing. I think it was the writing. It was more the writing because it was. I mean, in terms of animation style, it was very simple. Very no, yeah. almost nothing was happening except for. You know, big broad movements when they would happen. Someone right. would fall and break their back, or right. And it obviously wasn't done in Flash because it was pre-Flash, right? But it had that it had that sort of Flash feel to it, right? When you see things that are animated in Flash now, there's not a lot of movement, right? Yeah, yeah. they keep it super simple. Yeah, try not to do a lot of stuff. Um, what about Doctor Cat? Remember that weird, complicated? Yeah, um, that might have been. That could have been that could, like at the time it could have been Flash. Yeah. Probably wasn't. Probably, I don't think it was. Um, but it had that sort of wavy feel to it. Yeah, the the wavy lines. Of yeah, the, and I don't know whether that was because they actually. I think they just drew a pattern, like a cycle of lines moving. Yeah. for the characters yeah. and just played it over and over. Right, right. And so the only thing they were really animating by the end was uh, sinking the mouths to the sinking the lip flap to the uh, right to the words yeah and that was it and it was just be like you know cats and john benjamin and whoever else <laughs> just like sitting in a studio talking right and that was all it was it was just laura silverman and, and yeah and whoever the comic was andy kindler did a couple of those I yeah think. yeah it was and great. that was i mean that was great because it was a you were tricked into thinking you were watching animation, and what you really were getting was exposure to good comics. Yeah, yeah, and it was more of a radio sh- play <laughs> yeah. than anything else. Well, that's that was the thing about limited animation. Once it started getting really cheapo, and you had things like Yogi Bear and the Flintstones, right. or up to, all the way up to Doctor Katz, uh, Tex Avery started 
calling that illustrated radio. Oh, did he? Which is a really good description for what it is, because nothing ever moves except when you're about to stop paying attention. <laughs> yes. Um, and everything's based on dialogue. Right. I mean, it has the it has the writing structure of a radio play. Yeah, totally. And <laughs> what about um, and what about now? What what's happening these days? So what's happening now is um, I I don't know exactly what's happening now. Things are kind of reaching a point where they're either going to just keep going as they are or mm -hmm. change direction and finally move out of the age ghetto. Okay. Because I feel like animation has so much potential yeah. to do more than it's doing right now. But the stuff that is, you know, kind of directed at kids is improving tremendously. Um, a lot of it on the writing end, narratives are getting more interesting. You've got Adventure Time, mm -hmm. which is one of the most oh, right. interesting pieces narratively I've seen of something animated. Adults love it. Yeah. Um, adults love it. K kids will watch it. Yeah. But they don't really get it. Yeah. And, the kids get it less than the adults do. Right. By a lot. Yeah. Because um, it's, I think I watched. Yeah. I, I had like an eight-year-old girl like watch it and some friend of mine showed it to her and said that I like told her that I watch it and like. Right. He's weird. <laughs> he likes weird things. I was like, no, you just don't get it. You don't get it, <laughs> You just don't man. get how great it is, eight-year-old. Come on. And yeah, it's because there's not really the, the couple episodes. I um, That thing where it's the circle on the stick and then you... you right. What's that called? The thaumatrope. Thaumatrope. There we go. Um, I made one of those with the guy that created Adventure Time. Oh, with uh, Pendleton? Yeah. Ward? Pendleton Ward. Yeah, I got yeah. to meet him at Max FunCon. Oh, how um, is he? He seems fun. Super nice. What yeah. a nice guy. And he was like, I don't know. They told me to have a seminar. Do you guys <laughs> want to make a trope thing? And So you can make that. We'll show a couple episodes of Adventure Time, and yeah. I'll tell you my pitch process, which was so very basic. Uh, I lucked out. I just went yeah. in, and I told him, and they were like, okay. <laughs> and uh, and they let me do it, and then yeah. we watched a couple of episodes of it, and that's the only episodes I've ever seen. Oh yeah, of it, and you should and definitely check watch it out, more right? the stuff. Yeah, I mean, on the Western side of things, the stuff coming out of Cartoon Network and Adult Swim is m mostly the stuff to watch. What about Archer? Archer is from the same great. people who did Frisky Dingo. Okay, it's great. It's a writing thing. Oh, it's a you writing. Know, it's thing. all. It's all a writing thing. It's a great writing style, and that's what Adult Swim's been mostly about. Okay. They're not really innovating anything in terms of animation technique. Okay. Because it's, you know, it's limited animation. It's pretty cheap. Right. They're basically just... Uh, they're basically concentrating just high... on the scripts? Yeah. They're concentrating on the scripts, and the scripts are amazing. Okay. Because, I've, I've, you know, I, I usually... It's really fun, but it is like a... It is sort of like an awesome radio play. Okay. Like an illustrated radio play. Okay, Cool. But there's a lot, you know, a lot more cool stuff is happening in it than in the really limited stuff because they don't have to be so limited. It's not so expensive to move the characters around and have them do funny things and right. have funny things happen visually. Okay. But it's still sort of done in a cheap way because it's like illustrator vector drawings okay. that have just been imported into Flash, possibly. Okay. I don't know if I'm explaining the exact process of what they're doing right, but it's something <laughs> like this. Sure. Um. And then they kind of move them around. Okay. And so, you know, things don't change a lot. There's not a lot of perspective shifting or anything. Right, right. You know, it's sort of like a stage play. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, the only other really, the only animated thing I watch religiously is Venture, Venture Brothers. Venture Brothers. Yeah. Venture Brothers is amazing. The yeah. style is fantastic. Um, you know, they're out Johnny Questing, Johnny Quest. They really are. Like they're supposed to be, 
you know, they're almost supposed to be like a tribute to that or a send up of that, but they're doing such an incredibly better job than Johnny Cash ever was. Yeah. It, it's more interesting. It has better adventures. Yep. I mean, even just from an event, I mean, it'd be great if it wasn't as filthy as, as it was to right. show a kid because <laughs> it's so much yeah. more interesting than it has to be, you know? Yeah. Or it's, it's narratively really great. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of great writing and story going on there. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the visual style is very interesting. Yeah. Um, is that getting on the track? Whatever. The dogs? The dog barking? <laughs> Those are and dogs. The, and the, okay, I thought that was a man. Oh, I hope it's a dog. Because <laughs> then it's just a, uh, an echoey dog in the background. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, Venture Brothers is really great. Adventure Time is amazing on the kids' end. Right. Of right. the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and that's, to me, that's all that's going on. That's all that I'm following right. here in the West. Yeah. And then... I watch a lot of anime. That's you watch a lot of Japanese anime. Yeah. You know what I like and to do? Get what? into that uh, at an hour and a half. Yeah. Holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> Go. All right. So I'll just I'll talk about that briefly. I mean, I don't know how brief I can be. You know, for me, I started seeing it around the late '90s, and it just seemed. You know, it was crazy different from what was happening right. here. Even though the stuff here was improving, it was improving in that Disney direction. Yeah. Of sort of this the realistic version of cartoony. realism. Yeah. Yeah. And the Japanese stuff was just, I mean, it was very influenced by comics and film. Right. And the thing I've noticed about it that I just managed to articulate as of last night <laughs> is that anime has a much huger focus on three-dimensional perspective. In whatever it's doing. Okay. So, like, even to the point where things that, like, that Americans make that are like anime. Yeah. Like Avatar, The Last Airbender. Yeah. If you compare that with something from around the same time, like Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah. Which, on the Japanese side, kind of similar epic adventure story. Right. The way that they just draw and shade the characters. Yeah. I'd call it the Americans are just, you know, the Americans are shading them. Yeah. The Japanese are lighting them. Ah. You know, you've got real dramatic stuff happening with just the way shadows are drawn on the figures versus on the American figures. There's like, there's a little shadow here on the neck. Right. Uh, just you to show that, that he's got a head. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and a little bit of depth there. Right. Um, it's sort of there, but it's all sort of vague. Whereas like in, you know, Full Metal Alchemist, there's this huge muscly guy in every single bulging bit of muscle has its yeah. own shadow drawn on like a chiseled rock. Oh, wow. And there's like light flowing across him. Yeah. You know, it moves as he moves. Yeah. It's just a lot of stuff's been done because they've been developing ways to um, make the most of their limited animation there. Right. It's Maria Bamford. Oh. We're getting a lot of calls. A lot, a lot of, of calls, calls today. are happening today on the Dork Forest. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, it took me a while to realize that Japanese animation was limited because my experience of limited animation was just crummy Saturday morning cartoons, right. Thundercats, and this looked so much different. It was, you know, they just had a way of making you forget that they weren't even doing anything at a certain moment. Yeah, it looks so effortless. Yeah, sometimes. they'll like, you know, cut really close to a character, a weird perspective of their face, and just they'll draw a breath, but nothing's happened. Wow. They haven't moved at all, and you just feel like... So, Something's happening. So you're this is this is stuff like I've I've seen Japanese animation, but they're movies, right? Like the, right, like the Miyazaki stuff. Yeah, that's I mean 
that is just full on animation. That's fantastic. That's not work. like Dragon Ball it's Z. It's really hard work. <laughs> yeah, like Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, Dragon Ball Z is notorious for trying to save frames everywhere they can, oh my drawing God. fights out. Oh my God. It relying just, on the, the special f- effects where they can. The frozen in the sky <laughs> fights where they're just oh, growling look, he's at shaking. each other. Yeah. <laughs> but those are, but those are, or, but it Japanese gets the kids origin. excited yeah. based on the, it's, you know, it's sort of like the same principle as like a Power Ranger thing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, he's powering up. He's, he's going to get bigger. Up. He's going to fight this bad guy. Yeah. And Naruto does a little bit of yep. that. Naruto, Bleach, One Piece. All, all of those that? shows mm-hmm. are basically the same thing. Okay. <laughs> Just like, you meet a bad guy. Right. You get your butt pounded for a while. But Full Metal Alchemist is a series as well, right? Yeah. And that's... Just, just a different this, level, right? Yeah, it's sort of this, you know, just epic storyline. It's got a real narrative that isn't just like, let's meet the next bad guy and it'll be right. 400. It's, you know, it's it's long, but it's only 56 episodes. Okay. You know, Dragon Ball Z, Bleach, Naruto, and One Piece are all like in the 250s now. Right. Or whatever. Or I mean, whatever. Dragon Ball Z's done. It was like yeah. somewhere around 300. Yeah, there were a million of them. And One then- Piece is in the 400s. It's just, but I feel like with those shows, usually like you'll, when you first get into anime at a young age, as like a teenager, yeah, you'll gravitate towards one of those, right? And you'll and Naruto, get religious about it. I've, I've I've watched probably twelve or twenty episodes of yeah. Naruto because Miley Flanagan, friend of the show, yeah, does the voice of Naruto, and Yuri Lowenthal is Sasuke or whatever, yeah. Um, and and you'll get really into those shows and follow along with them. But the the, the recurring theme is entirely for children because the whole thing seems right. to be about friendship. Yep, and it's that's that having everybody's back. You got your friend. Yeah, you got his back. Because a lot of it's friend. in the character development. Since yeah. the narrative is just going to be the same thing. It's the, you know the story is here's a one upsmanship contest. Right. <laughs> who's right. going to one up who this week? This week, and and in the end there will be a fight, and in the end one of those two guys will win, and. Right. In the but end, you can, they will still be friends. Yeah, yeah. You can keep it interesting by, yeah, having the character dynamics right. that and, fill in that story be interesting. Right. and that's and But that does seem to be the pattern over and, and it over can, again. Yeah. And it can run. It can be a cash cow. It can run you, you know, hundreds of episodes. Hundreds, yes. You don't have to get the artists developing or, you know, drawing new characters. Right. Right. And it could... Anything you just got that franchise going. So what are the ones that you would recommend besides Full Metal Alchemist? So, yeah, Full Metal Alchemist is something pretty good from this decade. So right. good they did it twice. Oh, really? Um, they did one, well, because what happened was they did one, they were following along with the manga, because almost, you know, most series are based on mangas. And then the manga ran out of story before the animation was done. Oh, my gosh. So they finished it themselves and they mm-hmm. made up explanations for all the big questions, the sort of J.J. Abrams mysteries that were going wow. on. Okay. And they were pretty satisfactory. They were oh, like good. pretty good answers. And they made a pretty good thing out of it and then had a, you know, a, the movie version. Okay. Um, which is the thing with most anime. But this one, instead of just being a rehash of the series, was a yeah. continuation. Okay. So it continues it, finishes it. And it's pretty good. Then the manga finished, and they were like, let's make it again. Because oh. <laughs> there's money to be made. Right. We can do this again and, and again. They, yeah, they made it again. They followed the manga. Mm-hmm. I, I'm almost not sure about just the way it closed. Okay. But I'd say watch both. But watch the first one first. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's that, oh, gosh, recommendations. Yeah. Um, I have to say the, the 90s was sort of a big thing, big time for anime and the way it started changing and moving towards 
postmodernism and then how it found its commercial niche in the 2000s. Yeah. So the 90s, so around the late 90s, it was starting to get experimental and crazy because they were like, what are we doing? How are we going to get these dollars? <laughs> right, right. And the thing that made the most money then, but was also like the biggest departure from what had been done before was Evangelion. Evangelion? What's Neon that? Neon Genesis Evangelion. Just a bunch of crazy words strung together. Yeah, what the hell does that mean? Um, I don't know. I think he. Who are I the think characters? the guy... The director tried to explain what it meant once, right? But it's like it's a giant robot show. But the protagonist is unwilling. It gets more and more screwed up as you go deeper and deeper into it. Okay. Um, and the premise they just throw you into it right off the bat is there's these giant creatures called angels that are threatening the human race, and they come one at a time. They this kind of. Uh, clandestine organization knows about them knows how many there will be okay and knows that they've got to fight them with these giant robots they built okay <laughs> and the the organization that manages the fighting robots is called nerve and the, his, the kid's father is the director there and they have a strained relationship <laughs> wow and the, like the first scene of the show is the kid being brought in from like Basically, having been abandoned. Okay. <laughs> his mother died in one of the experiments. His oh. father sent him away. He's been living on his own. And now he's been brought back for the first time. He's like, oh, what does my dad want me for? What is it going to be? <laughs> and he's just like, you're going to pilot this thing. Oh. I'm... And he's just staring this huge, grim-looking robot in the face, which is different. You know, most of the time, the robots looked cool up to yeah. that point. This thing looked like a monster. Right. And, you and know, his dad just brought him to pilot it because yeah. he'd run out of bodies yep wow <laughs> well because it, the it actually these are awesome yeah it actually turns out later it's because only certain people only a specific person can pilot each one okay because they've got a soul in them oh right on all That's right how his mommy died uh oh really <laughs> spoiler alert spoiler alert uh, a little bit For, afterwards yeah dragon riders of pern it's That's not really a spoiler if you couldn't figure it out watching the show <laughs> <laughs> yeah the that, show was so dense that you would it would be Hard to realize that that's what happened that until that later, would, right? Until like maybe the second or third rewatch. Yeah, yeah. When you when you're in your mid forties and you're like, yep. "What's happening? Uh, <laughs> what about Cowboy Bebop? Did you ever watch that? Yeah, because Cowboy Bebop was one of the things that came over here okay. in that early import phase, and uh, it's a lot more popular here than it was over there. Yeah, I liked it. Um, I liked it because <laughs> I'm from over here, I guess. Maybe, and I liked it. Um, it was one of the first things Andy ever took me to see. It was a movie we went. Oh, to the saw. movie version. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and then we watched videos. Yeah. Um, he was also, like, kind of ends it. darkly. Yeah, it's very and dark. It it, uh, it starts. It sort of sets you up for a lot of the tropes that get used over and over again in right. anime. Of like the, you know, you've got the the band of people and right. You know, you're this tortured hero and this sure. woman who's very beautiful but does her own thing and right, right. There, She's there's on her an own. implied like the most distantly implied romance ever in the world right. happening right, right. Yeah, between them never... like yeah in any american thing like they'd be a couple by the end of the show that would be the ending of the show is the right. romance develops the ending of this show is like oh maybe she kind of liked him <laughs> <laughs> yes 
Maybe it's possible that she sort of had a thing for him. <laughs> Patrick Brady. In the back of her mind. Let's call it. Let's call yeah. it there, man. Because that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that is the perfect way. We have talked animation, and yeah. we got a lot done. I thought that yeah. was great. Talked for a long time. So might much. have to cut some stuff out. Yeah, why not? but I think it'll be fine. It's going to be great. This has been a great episode. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks and for having me. Thanks for all of it. My hat. My hat. My hat. They're dancing around my hat, my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh, my God. We, why don't we just call that as the end of the show?